the CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. If you go by statistics, most murder victims are killed by people they know a friend, a relative. And almost always, such violent death is the end to a quarrel, the fatal heat of the moment. Today, something quite different. Crimes without passion. Committed not in hot blood, but in cold. Are you... You're, you're the man they... The man they call cruel killer Carl. Yeah, that's me. Is, uh, is this your wife? What are you going to do to us? I wish you wouldn't point those guns. Well, you can't come in here like this. Well, of course he can. He can, he can spend the night. Surely, what are you doing? This man is a killer. He's a wanted man. I don't care if he is. He's a human being, isn't he? Our mystery drama, Cool Killer Carl, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Jean Frederick Lewis and stars Nathan Adams. It is sponsored in part by Contact, the 12-hour cold capsule, and True Value Hardware Stores. I'll be back shortly with Act One. No one likes to believe they could be marked for death accidentally. That chance rules. The pistol, the shotgun, the knife is pointed at someone else, not you. If you live harmlessly, why would you be harmed? The question haunts us. The answer eludes us. And so we don't like to think about it. Some of us, however, have to think about it and do something about it. One such person is Lieutenant Poletti of the Union City Police Force. This case took us two years to solve. And if it wasn't for the action of one family who were threatened with certain death, who knows how many more lives he would have snuffed out. Who is he? I'm talking about Carl Hefner. Or as we used to call him at police headquarters, Cool Killer Carl. And man, he was cool. Take that April Fool's Day when Carl walked into a bar on James Street. You're lucky I'll say that for you. I was just about to close up the bar for the night. Well, what'll it be, Mac? You got time for just one drink. I see you've got another customer, so I guess I don't have to rush. Oh, you mean him? <laughs> He's been nursing that drink for too long. I can't make any money out of him. Uh, hey, Kramer. Kramer, I'm closing down, pal. Ah, but it's just as well go home and face the music. What, what do you mean, uh, Mr. Kramer? Oh, when I get old, believe me, my wife's going to throw the book at me. Yeah, how come? This is the second pair of glasses I've busted this week. Oh, Vinny's going to lay me low. Okay, kid, what's in your mind? Hey. Oh, what, are you, what are you doing? What, what, what is this? This is a gun. And this is another gun. Both are loaded. Hey, put those away, young man. Now, don't go sticking your nose where it isn't wanted, mister. Stay healthy. I'm a cop off duty. Don't reach for your gun. Kramer, don't. Yeah, that, that's why I, I carry two of these. One for each other. Please, Kramer, do as the kids say. He's giving you good advice, cop. Now, take it out. Slowly. That's right. Yeah, very slowly. And now... Slide your gun 
down the counter to me. Go on. Kramer, please. And now, stop. Just remain where you are. You sit right there, and you finish your drink, and think about your wife. Okay? And now, you were asking me what I'll have, weren't you? Sure, sure. You, you, you name it. I'll take whatever's in the cash register. <laughs> Don't stall, friend. It's not polite, and it's unwise. Open it up. All the green stuff. And, uh, by the way, in case I should be coming in here again, my name isn't Mac. Good night, gentlemen. Any sign of him? Uh, that kid must be an Olympic champion sprinter. When I got out to the street, he was but nowhere. I ran up the corner, James in front, no one. Back down the other way to Maine. Not a trace. There's no crowd this time of night for him to disappear, and he's just fast. Oh, you, you, you'll get him. You look such a darn fool. Me, a cop, and this happened. Oh, believe me, Kramer, I'm just as glad there was no shooting. Oh, boy. Wait till Paul Eddie hears about this. Who's that? The lieutenant. Oh, but that, that fellow had the drop on you. You had no choice. Yeah, yeah. Let me have my gun, will you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, take it. Don't let it get you down, Kramer. I, I'm only out 60 bucks. My life's worth a darn sight more than that. I was out the door and after him in 10 seconds, Lieutenant, but he disappeared. I, I didn't think anyone could run that fast. What'd he look like, Kramer? Well, clean-shaven, five-foot-four, thin, had on what looked like uh, army fatigue, you know, the fake surface kind. Brown hair, brown eyes, muscular. Fast on his feet. Oh, greased lightning. Up James Street and out of sight. And a very calm demeanor during the holdup. Calm? Cold? Two guns, you said. You have 44s, both of them. Mm-hmm. I hate guessing, Kramer, but I'd say that's the same guy who's been keeping the other precincts jumping. Holding up neighborhood saloons since last Christmas. Now, how long is that? Uh, four months. Mm-hmm. He waits till closing time, and then he hits. I feel so darn dumb. Take a look at these reports, Kramer. Uh, here, here. Here's one. Yeah. Yeah, I'll bet on it. Here, listen to this. Mail 25. Same description. Held up Ferretti's bar on Chestnut. Bartender described the assailant as... Very young, very calm, very cool. Unless he's got a twin, Kramer, it sounds like yours tonight. Yeah, well, uh, I'll type up my report. And hey, thanks for being so uh, uh, benevolent. Two weeks later, another stick-up of another bar. The same cool hold-up man, the M.O. exactly the same. Not much money taken. Closing time. Only the address was different. McClosky's Bar and Grill on Front Street. At 11.30 p.m., richer by $125 than he'd been five minutes earlier, a man ran out of McCloskey's, made a 50-yard dash up the street, and jumped into a cab parked at the curb. Get going! Get going, driver! Fast! The cab driver knew something was wrong. He fumbled with the ignition key and then froze. In his rearview mirror, he could see a big man wearing a bartender's apron running up the street toward his cab, yelling, Stop! Stop! Stop that come man! Come on, come on, let's go, chum. Please, you've got to help me. See, that, that man back there, look. See, see, I've been romancing a girl, and I only just found out that she's married. And that's her husband heading for us, and he's threatened to kill me. The story later from the taxi driver, he thought he was doing his passenger a favor. 
We told him he sure was. A $125 favor. Weeks went by, and I'm ashamed to say months. Our mysterious gunman racked up a total of $4,000 lifted from grocery stores, liquor stores, bars, and laundromats. Then, finally, that fateful Monday. We held our usual weekly quarterbacking at the station house, all hands on deck at 7.45. Patrolman Kramer, the only man on the force who had seen our elusive hold-up man at close quarters, had the floor. Of course, I uh, would have seen him better if I hadn't broken my glasses that day. But this drawing the art boys have come up with resembles him pretty well. Now, there are two known facts that we have to go on. One, this young punk is going to go right on robbing. He's too successful and he's too cool to stop. Our psychological report tells us we're dealing with a character of exceedingly high intellect. Fact two, for 22 months now, this man has pulled out two loaded 44s and one threat. Now, one of these days, one of the 44s or the other, or both, will go off. And instead of hunting a thief, we'll be tracking a murderer. Remember that. All right, boys. You've all got a sketch of the wanted man. Now get out in the street and search. Yes, sir. Uh, 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 yes, Kramer? Uh, I've been uh, examining this drawing with my glasses on, and there's one thing that comes to me. I mean, uh, identification that might help. Yeah? The man we're looking for has got a mole on his right cheek. High up. Almost under his eye. All right. All right, boys. You heard what Kramer just told me. Pencil in that mold. That was 8.15 Monday morning. Patrolman Kramer took the subway to Union Avenue, where he was detailed that day. At 8.47, Kramer stood up and went to the subway train door. Union Avenue was the next stop. Sitting in the seat right by the door was the young man with the mole on his cheek. The man, Kramer was certain, who had robbed the bar on James Street to take the first. Honest law-abiding citizens off trains just, just because you're a, a cop? You're a suspect. I certainly can. Out of the platform, kid. Don't make a fuss if you know what's good for you. I tell you, I tell you, you're making a mistake, officer. I have done nothing wrong. I will see. Just you stand there. Oh, look at that. You, you may be missed my train. I tell you, you've got the wrong guy. Yeah. I got a picture here which says different. Kramer was killed instantly. His murderer disappeared. I had said that it was only a question of time. Kramer's death was the answer. The slugs extracted from Kramer's chest were identified at ballistics, and from there we got a line on the guns. Only a question of time before the guns and the bullets and the purchaser were identified. Now we knew who it was we were hunting. Carl Hefner. Finding Carl Hefner presented the kind of problem that police find almost the most difficult of all to solve. Somewhere, he must have a family, friends, a past life. But apparently, he had cut himself off completely from anyone who had known him and operated alone. We stepped up our manhunt, for now he was no longer an ordinary stick-up man. He had killed a cop, and without doubt, there would be other deaths. I'll be back shortly. 
headlines screamed in Union City, in the state, in the entire country. Cool Carl kills. The young man who robbed without apology now killed without regret. People went to work, looking over their shoulders, wondering if they'd be next. The heat of notoriety was on the cool killer, but it was also on the police to stop him before his guns fired again. We took men from anywhere they could be spared. Beefed up the street patrols, the squad cars, and the detective division. The search took Detective Wellicott from our precinct to a movie house the night of the 4th. They were showing an old war movie, the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor. In a back row, apparently dozing, sat the man we were looking for. Detective Wellicott recognized him. Wake up, Heston. What is it? If you just open both your eyes, you'll notice I got my gun pointing straight at you. Hold your hands up high. Oh, but what, what do you think you're doing? Now stand up slowly. Are you Carl Hefner? Who? Carl I never heard of. No kidding. You don't even read the newspapers. All right. Move out to the aisle. You have any right to do this. I'm a police officer. You're under arrest. Now march up the aisle into the lobby. Up there. Little swinging doors. Say, what's this? Sorry, I stumbled. I'm just not awake yet. I didn't mean anything. Right behind you. Now march. And no tricks. I don't want to use this gun in the crowded theater, but I will if I have to. Push open those swinging doors. Why, Scott? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I I, I didn't mean to let that door swing back in your face like that. Point blank. Three slugs in the chest. No kidding. I'm, I'm still here. You don't know the half of it. That, that cool car leads a charmed life. I questioned the guy behind the candy counter, Dave. He saw the whole thing. He saw you bring Hefner into the lobby. Hefner in front of you. He turned around and pushed the swinging door into your face. When you got the door open, he let loose with both guns and was out of there before anyone knew it. Yeah, I, re- I remember. But I'm sure I hit him. That's right, you did. The guy at the candy counter said you got him in the leg. We found blood all the way into the street. Lieutenant, I... I, I, I don't feel very good. What are my chances? They're good, Dave. Very good. You were on the operating table from midnight until four this morning. They took out three slugs and then so jumped. They took bullets out of my chest. And I'm still here. That's it. Cool, Carl's not the only one that leads a charmed life. How how did I keep the mark? By a heartbeat, Dave. You know, the doc told me that at that speed. 
split second when you were shot, your heart had contracted. If it had been expanding, the bullet would have nicked the heart, and right now, we wouldn't be talking. So you'll be as good as new, Dave. You're sure about that? Thanks, Richard. All right, I'll go back to sleep now. And as soon as the stitches are out of your chest, maybe I can persuade the commissioner to pin a medal on it. Within minutes of the attack on Detective Dave Wellicott, we had a complete circle cordoned around ten city blocks of the area. No one could leave or enter without being questioned. What we didn't know was within minutes after the shooting, Carl Hefner was ringing the front doorbell of an unsuspecting family of four. Mr. and Mrs. Edward Cable and their two small children. This is the way that encounter was pieced together for the police later. All right, all right. Hold your horses, I'm coming. Shirley, be sure to put the chain on the front door before you open it. You know what they said on television. Okay, hon. I, uh, I guess you know who I am. Yes. Is that gun loaded? Oh, they both are. I just shot another cop. Now, do as I say, and nothing will happen to you. Take your foot out of the door. Curly, what is it, dear? Who is it? It's... Ah, good oh. evening, sir. Um, I just told your wife uh, to take it easy, not to panic, to keep calm, and nothing will happen to you. Hey, look, there's a gun you're pointing. Aimed right at your wife, sir. And I can shoot a lot faster than you can close this door. What are we going to do, sir? That's the man Carl Hefner they've been talking about on TV. Look, would you, would you go away, please? We, we have two little children upstairs. You sound like a nice family. Now, they'll, they'll, never, they'll never look for me here. You go somewhere else and leave us alone, will you? Well, if, if you're really thinking of your kids, now you wouldn't want them orphans, would you? Just let me inside and close the door behind me quietly. Now, look, I really mean it, I promise you. I just need to stop running and rest for a bit. I won't hurt you. I'll let him in here. Come on in. Are, are you the man they, they call Yeah, yeah, that, that's me. And now, about your children. They're upstairs. They're watching television. Well, I think it's about time that they went to bed. I, I've been thinking about this. I don't really think you should spend the night here. Of course you can, Ed. I've got some blankets. I'll make you comfortable on the sofa. You are your mind, Shirley. What are you doing? This man is a hunted criminal. Sit over there, Mr. Hefner. Didn't you hear what I said? This man is a killer. Don't care if he is. He's a human being, isn't he? Shirley, I don't get you at all. Here you are in the kitchen making a pot of coffee. I must be dreaming. Why not? If we have people over in the evening, we're always getting coffee. Well, for heaven's sake, he's not exactly an invited guest. Oh, I wonder if I've got any cake left over from yesterday. Look, maybe... Maybe I can just quietly lift up the kitchen telephone and get some help. I wouldn't do that if I were you, mister. Huh? Uh, do what? Take your hands away from there. Leave the phone alone, okay? Unless you want me to rip it out of the wall. Carl, uh, you sit down there and have some coffee. Coffee? Why not? Is this on the level? Oh, sure, he's on the level, all right. When she says coffee and cake, she means it. Well, I haven't had anything to eat all day. You haven't? I could get you twenty for sandwich. Sure, if you say so. Hey, look, Carl, if you don't mind, how about putting those guns away, huh? <laughs> I mean, we're not going to jump you or anything. Yet. That crazy one, not. That's a reasonable request. I'm a reasonable person. I'll put them on the kitchen counter. 
Will you two men just stop hanging over me? The coffee will be ready as soon as the kettle's boiled. I told you to sit, both of you. Eddie, you take this chair. Carl, the other side. We always eat in the kitchen. Eddie, will I get the mugs down? Will you slice the cake? Carl, I'll have a sandwich for you and a jiffy. You you guys don't seem to be a bit scared. <laughs> oh, sure, I'm scared. I'm scared for Shirley, for David and Betty upstairs. Yeah. I mean, what are you asking? Yeah, I, I meant to ask. Are they all right, the children? Well, I brought them in milk. I packed them in for the night. Uh, did you tell them you had a friend, then? Well, there's time enough for that in the morning. What? What's that? Oh, I don't believe it. Put those guns down, silly. Is the water boiling? Oh, now. Let's all have a quiet cup of coffee, and Carl, you eat. There's a sandwich. I hope you like it. I don't want to hear another word out of you, young man, until your plate is clean. You know, you sound just like my mother. Huh. That was very good. Thanks a lot. Uh, how long do you think it'll be, uh... Staying here? Well, I suppose. You know, I suddenly realized I didn't know your name. Oh, Ed Cable. And your wife's name is Shirley, I know that. And the kids are David and Betty. Is that right? And what what do you do, eh? Uh, oh, you mean for a living? Yeah. Huh? I uh, teach mathematics at Union City High. Shirley works in the same school. She works? Well, who takes care of the children? Well, she has. She's both a mother and a teacher. Wow. Well, what does she teach? Oh, I'm not exactly a teacher, Carl. Uh, Shirley's a guidance counselor. Wait, what's that? Carl, you're bleeding. What's blood all over your leg? Oh. Huh? Oh, yeah. I thought I'd stop her with my handkerchief. Get around in that chair. Now, stick your leg out. Oh, Ed, will you look at that? The boy's hurt. Well, those trousers up so I can take care of it. Lady, I, Shirley, I, you, you're crazy. I mean, I, I've shot two cops, and today one of them nicks me, and you, you, holy God. You don't know my wife, Carl. If she wants to help someone, nothing's going to stop her. I'm not helping anyone but me. Now, you go get some branches there. They're in the medicine chest upstairs. I'm not going to have blood all over my nice new linoleum kitchen floor. Shirley, can't you sleep? No, I've been lying here thinking about it. It's awfully sad, isn't it? Why would a boy like that, obviously intelligent, turn on society? Look, Shirley, don't you think your sympathies are a little misplaced? Carl Hefner's a murderer. The whole city's looking for him. I don't know. He's so young. You fed him, you cleaned off his wound, you bandaged it, gave him a blanket and a pillow. How about thinking of David and Betty? You think they're safe with this crazy guy at house? He wouldn't hurt them. He promised. He promised. You think this trigger-happy kid, you think he knows the meaning of the word? Okay, I'm over understanding. I... Well, if you're stalling for time, that's fine. That's okay by me, Shirley. All I'm saying is, We've got to have a plan before he kills us all. There's someone on the landing. Get up, you two cunts. Stand up. I'm against the wall. What is it? What is it? I don't want to see you when I pull the trigger. You can't leave it, Carl. Why? Why? You don't hear the police outside, do you? You don't know anything about them. They might have known. Coffee and cake and mothers. Are you... Are you just doing this? One broken promise deserves another. Underworld, the 
code of the criminal rewards treachery by death. Cool Killer Carl is obeying that code. The sanctity of life? He never heard of it. To him, it is not a matter of revenge, but justice. He who rats on me deserves to die. Besides, no matter how many more corpses Carl Hefner adds to his list, society can only pay him back once. I'll be back shortly. We're back with Act Three. Here is a young man who has killed without compunction. Is he normal? Abnormal? Psychopathic? What difference by what name he is labeled? For some reason, he is revenging himself upon society. Without his gun, what kind of person is he? Afraid? I never thought it would end like this. Shot in the back by a coward. Who's a coward? Hey, Terry, don't look us in the eye when you do it. You're going to ask the children to bury their faces in their pillows when you shoot them so you can't see them looking at them? I'm not going to turn around, Carl. Those police outside. We didn't call them. You're as good as dead if the cops walk into this house. I told you both to play it cool and you wouldn't get hurt. How dumb can a wise guy be? I swear we didn't call the police. Oh, yeah? Why have they turned off the siren? I changed my mind. I'm taking your wife downstairs, Ed, with me. Now, if any cops come to the door and she doesn't give them the answers I want to hear, she gets a hole in the back of her head. We didn't call the cops, I swear it. And then I'm coming up here for you, Ed. And the children. Let's keep in those cops. Where are they? What are they waiting for? Police. Maybe they're just out there getting parking tickets. Don't be funny. I disagree with you, Carl. It just doesn't make sense to me that you'd kill me. And my husband and David and Betty. For what? You'll be caught finally. And you'll have four more deaths on your conscience. You called the police. I mean, what did you expect from me? I told you. I didn't. Ed didn't. As for expect, I thought you'd treat us the way we treated you. What do you know? They're going. You must be relieved. I don't know. I can tell you this, Shirley. You confuse me lots. No one wants to help you confuse with you? I don't want to think about that. I don't want to get caught. Not just yet, that's all. Is your leg still hurting you? It's all right. You want to get to a doctor so you get infected? It could, you know. A bullet wound. Do you really care? Of course I do. Why? I mean, what, what, what am I to you? I keep thinking my own son, David, and supposing someday something went wrong for him and he needed help. What if I wasn't around? I'd hope he'd find someone to help him, too. I'm only doing what any mother would. Maybe if I'd had you for a mother, <laughs> it would all have been different. You'll never make me believe your mother didn't love you. Hmm. She sure had a funny way of showing it. Is she still alive, your mother? Does she know where you are? Yeah, she does now. They got pictures of me in every newspaper in Union City. Television, too, I guess. When was the last time you spoke to her? I don't know. You haven't spoken to her. Not in three years. Ah, gosh, I'm tired. Three years and two months. It was my birthday. We had dinner. She made me a special birthday dinner. 
My dad instead. She was nagging on me. Get a job, she'd say. What are you doing hanging around the house? Get a job. She bought me a comb and a brush. We were bristly kind, you know, for my birthday. I, I kept taking it, what she was saying, and I kept eating the cake that she made. She always makes cakes for me. <laughs> and then I walked out of the house. I never looked back. I didn't even take my new comb and brush she gave me. I never saw her again. You never even found her? But you should talk to her. Is she that far? Well, Barrett Hill's right outside of the city. Get a job. <laughs> I guess I'm sorry about one thing. And all this time, I didn't do one thing to make my mother proud. Done it all wrong. But it's too late now. They'll get me, the cops. They don't kill me, I'll go to the chair. You could make it easier for your mother, you know, if, if she saw you before her. I guess. I'd like to see her, too. You know, they say if you're on death row, they give you one last wish. One last meal and one last wish. So I'll tell them I want to see my mother bring her here. Well, wait, Carl. Maybe you won't get that chance. I wasn't the first to shoot. Sure, I threatened with a gun, I know that. But the other guy always had his finger on the trigger before I did. I believe you. And I was a kid in school. Nobody took me seriously. I was a school joke, you know that? I was always dropping things. I was always breaking things. Clumsy Clutch Carl. <laughs> that was my nickname, Carl the Clutch, when I was a kid. That sure changed everybody's opinion. Just by showing her a muzzle of a forty-four And with two forty-fours, eh... Oh, 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 yeah, they believed me twice as much. With threats? Sure, but you didn't have to be taken at your word. Oh, word. boy, oh, boy, they knew I wasn't kidding around. I had to do that, see. For my own self-respect. Carl, tomorrow morning, if I get your mother on the telephone, will you talk to her? Oh, you mean just like that? I'm going up to bed now and have a look at the children to make sure they're all right. And then we'll go to sleep, too, right here on that sofa. And in the morning... I'm coming down and get your mother on the telephone, and I want you to talk to her. You think I should? Good night, Carl. Hello? Is this Mrs. Hefner? M Mrs. Hefner, you don't know me. My name is Mrs. Shirley Cable. We live in Union City. I'm calling you at the request of your son, Carl. What? Yes. Yes, son. He's here in our house. <laughs> I know Carl hasn't been in touch with you lately, but he says he'd like to talk to you, so just a minute. Please hold on. Another call. Another end. Oh, Ma? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, fine. How, how are you? What, what have I been doing? No. Lots of things. Well, I like I had a job in the filling station. Yeah, 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 some work on cars. Mostly pumping gas. Yeah. Well, no, no, wait, wait a second. Listen, I had a real nice job for a pretty long time, stacking books in the library. No, not the one near home, the big one downtown in the city. What do you mean, why didn't I keep one job? I had to try them out, didn't I? I mean, you were always after me to get a job. Well, I got jobs. I got lots of jobs. So what? So you have to believe everything you read? Yeah, yeah, that was me. So what? Now, look. Look, Ma, look. Just listen to me, Ma. I didn't want to call you in the first place, but this lady where I'm staying, she said that I should. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. 
way I knew you'd still be after me. You never change, do you? You never... You never... Ma. 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 I... 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 Are you crying? Oh, Ma. Ma, don't do that. Please. Please don't cry. I didn't mean that honest, I didn't. Listen to me, Ma. Whatever they say about me, they don't know anything. I mean, some of it's true, what I did, but not all of it. Ma, you gotta stop crying. I do love you. Sure I do. Yeah. And I miss you. I've missed you lots of times. I get so lonely sometimes. But I, I had to go away from home. And you never listened to me. Oh, no, no, you didn't. I, I See, listen, Ma, I had to make people listen to me. Come home. I can't, Ma. I've got to lay low. Yeah. I wish I could see you, too. Hey, Ma, if everything goes wrong, then they get me. I promise you I'll see you. I'll make them get you to come see me. Oh, Ma, don't. Please. Hey, Shirley. Shirley, will you please talk to her? I can't anymore. Mrs. Hefner, this is Mrs. Cable. Yes, he's all right. I know he's a good boy. Mrs. Hefner, you can't blame yourself. I'm sure you did. And whatever Carl's done, I'm sure he's deeply sorry. I certainly don't. And you take care of yourself too, Mrs. Hefner. No. Don't tell me, Mrs. Hefner. It was Carl's idea. Yes. Goodbye. You have to say that. I never thought to call her. It was your idea. No, not really, Carl. Deep down, you want to speak to your mother. I know you did. They're going to get me. I know they will. Ah, it's a blessing, I guess. I've been running away for years and years. Running since I ran away from home. Your mother told me to tell you that she always loved you. And I should be sure to tell you that. She said that? Always. Yes, you did. Now, come along into the kitchen. I'll bring the children their breakfast, and then he and Ed and I will have some breakfast, too. Carl Hefner kept the Cable family prisoners in their own home all that morning. He watched television down in the living room, staring at the special news bulletins about his escape and the wounding of Detective Wellicott. While he watched, Mr. and Mrs. Cable had a hurried consultation in their bedroom. Sweet. We can't go on like this, Shirley. Hour after hour, just waiting, waiting for what? We've got to get the kids out of this house. He's calmed down, Eddie. He really has. Yeah, but now. I think I could make him give himself up. Not in a million years. Don't count on it. He's, he's, he's erratic. He's irrational. You're wrong, darling. You should have been there when he called his mother. He can be really Darling, you know, I respect everything you stand for and do, but this isn't some rejected teenager in school that you can steer with guidance counseling. Carl Hefner has killed in cold blood. He's way past the point of being able to return. Oh, please, don't do anything. Wait, just a little longer. Oh, listen, listen to me for a minute. Let's, let's tell them our kids are really going stir crazy. They're not used to being kept in all day, and I, I just can't keep them in the house any longer. And if he'd be a good fellow and let us all out of the house for a, a breath of fresh air, we won't do anything that would jeopardize his safety. I'll promise him that if I have well, to. Well, don't promise. Surely, 
see him for what he is, please. Honey, I have to think of our safety first. Well, you'll have to make those promises to him yourself. I can't. He trusts me. Okay, okay. I'm not asking you to. You, you just go get the kids ready and leave the rest to me. At 3.35, I got a telephone call from Ed Cable from a street phone booth. They had run from their home 10 city blocks. He had his family safely with him, and they were going to his mother's. At 3.45, we had the cable house surrounded. Carl Hefner? Carl Hefner? We have this house surrounded. This is the police. Come out quietly with your hands up. Come out, Hefner, with your hands up. You haven't a chance. Don't waste your ammunition, Hefner. You're just making it harder for yourself. We have 20 trained marksmen waiting to pick you off. Come on out. Live a little longer. Hold it. Hold it. Hold your fire. I'm going into that house. No one on the first floor. I need a second open the door to a room facing the street. There, lying on the floor in his own blood, was the young man. Get out of here. Get out. You've been hit pretty bad, kid. Not me you want. I live here. I belong here. Carl Hefner, it's you we want. You don't want me. I'm not him. I'm not him anymore. Bring out the stretcher, boys. We've got him. gone wrong, leaving behind him a trail of blood and ending in his own. A young man so sure he was misunderstood, that nobody cared, that his worth was unrecognized. Six months later, cool killer Carl paid the supreme penalty, but in his final earthly hours, he was granted his wish. His mother came to see him, and when she left, it was reported this troubled youth seemed calmer. At long last, he had found peace. I shall be back shortly. It has been said that somewhere between self-love and self-hate lies the balance of a peaceful mind. Overweigh either on one side of the human scale, and the result can be self-destruction. We've told this story of Carl Hefner in order to shed some light and perhaps even sound some warning. A psychological misfit? We'd rather remember him as a man who thought he was unloved. Our cast included Mason Adams, Marion Seldes, William Griffiths, Ian Martin, and Mandel Kramer. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Now, a preview of our next tale. Mommy? Well, that's not bad. Coming from the astral world, you wouldn't expect it to be exactly the same as in life. You couldn't make it a little younger, could you? Mommy! Well, that'll have to do. Now, I'll have to go out and get some more dry ice for the vapor. And you better go check your Hessian costume because you've lost some more weight. Oh, how about the wrappings? 
Okay. That's good. Now, don't get so thin that you can't do that anymore. Because the wrapping set the tone of the whole thing. Now, she will be here at 9 o'clock. And I want everything ready. I want you ready. Because this may lead to something very big. Really big. Mrs. E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.